Damn, son, where'd you find this? I'm focused, man. This is another episode of Flavor in Your Ear Podcast. What were you thinking, buddy? A podcast about damn near any and every topic with no filter and zero regard for the easily offended. Please welcome the man behind the madness. Your host and audio flavor maestro, Marquise Edwards. I say now. What is up, everybody? We are back with another outstanding episode of Living Your Ear Podcast. And today I have a special guest, uh, which I will allow her to introduce herself. But I'm very picky with my guests, as you all know. So um, I do my homework and you know, read people's stories and things like that um, to motivate others to tell their stories. And just so you can know that people, everybody has their own unique story. So um, this episode, I am going to be much of a listener. I do have my same study questions that I always ask, but I would rather her to uh, elaborate more because I'm very interested as well uh, for this for this session as well. Her name is Deborah Driggs, and she recently wrote a book, I believe, um, that we will also um, talk about a little bit in the show. Um, however, I'm excited to get her started and introduce herself, and then we will go from there. So without further ado. Hi, everybody. Hi, Marcus. Thank you so much for taking the time and having me on your show. I'm, it's always a privilege you know, and I, I always feel very honored when people ask me to be a guest on their show. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Yeah. So, yeah. So what did you read about me? <laughs> Let's so, start with that. <laughs> so, so I guess we can start. Um, about your bio. You, you, you say you came from a brother, you know. Sorry. Uh, you came from a rather uh, rough background or I'm not say rough, but, you know, pretty challenging background and. In today's society, right, a lot of people don't come from a whole happy home, right? That's just reality. Yeah, it's not it's not one of the things that we like about society, but it is a, a, a fact about reality, right, in uh, society nowadays. So, I want you to elaborate from you know how you grew up, so that people out there can know you know some of the things you had to grow up with that you know made you made you who we are today. However, but the things that you had to experience you know growing up uh, to now. Sure. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know. You know. I'll start by saying. That, you know, at my age now, things look a lot different. But at the Mm -hmm. time, at the time when I was in it and I was young and Mm -hmm. even in my 20s and 30s, I still, you know, I didn't really understand, didn't get a grasp. And I'm still learning today. Mm -hmm. But yes, uh, you know, my parents got married. My mother was 18 and my dad was 21 Mm -hmm. and they had no tools, you know. So right out of the gate, you know, they were set up for failure and... Mm -hmm. Now, not everybody's set up for failure, but they just right. didn't have the tools. Okay. And my mother had me when she was 19. And, Very young. Oh. and so I didn't have parents, so to speak. I mm-hmm. had two people trying to figure out their lives. And I was like, whoops, you know, and then my sister was a whoops. And so we grew up in this home where they were just trying to work and provide and and so there was, excuse me, no attention. And we were just kind of left to fetch for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, I was the kid that was, you know, whenever the chaos or the yelling or the 
dysfunction would start in my home, I would be the one like, Hey, look over here, you know, and I'd be dancing around, you know, like my first, my first addiction as a kid was attention, you know, like give me attention. I need Mm -hmm. attention. Mm -hmm. And I would do anything to get it. I'd put on shows. I would do really well in school. Um, You know, I got good grades. I was the teacher's pet, you know, so I started out with this. If I'm perfect, I'll get attention. Well, that didn't work. And so, you know, and then in my teenage years, my parents got divorced when I was 14. And it was like a death, you know, it was like a death, even though they really should have divorced a long time before that. Mm-hmm. It's still for a kid is devastating. Exactly. And, and nobody, you know, and back then I, I am aging myself, but really nobody, my parents, <laughs> my, my friend's parents were getting divorced. You know, I'd go over to my friend's house and they'd have like the mom was in the kitchen baking cookies and the dad, oh. came, and the dad came home from work. It's like, hey, guys, and open the paper. And, you know, it was like this like Brady Bunch family. All my friends had that life. And then, you know, I just was like, why can't I have this family? Right. I feel like every I feel, I feel like every kid has that. I mean, when you, once you get older, you kind of realize it. Right. I mean, but um, and. As a kid, you try your best to mask it when it's yeah. when it's going on, but later on it hits you. Um, that's what it does hit you. Like, wait, I didn't have that that family unit, mm-hmm. and that's what I missed as a child. I did not have a unit. I didn't have a foundation. Mm-hmm. And but what I did have, which was beautiful, is that my mom allowed me to be an ice skater, and so I started ice skating at a young age. I get up at 4 a.m. As, as I got better and better, I had started getting up at 4 a.m. skating before school and after school, and that became my life. Mm-hmm. And with the with the ice skating, I had coaches and I had people that were teaching me how to do life. Okay. Because I wasn't getting it at home, so right, I got right. it at the I got it at the ice skating rink in my sport. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, so I always, you know, I think about that a lot. Like, wow, that really saved my life. Because mm-hmm. where else was I going to get those tools? I, I I wouldn't have gotten those tools anywhere else. So that really mm-hmm. saved my life. And then when I turned 14, my parents got divorced and I stopped ice skating. So it was two deaths, oh, wow. you know, it was boom. And then I just wanted to die. And that was mm-hmm. right. That was an age where I really started thinking about, I don't need to be on this planet. You know, like I would have suicidal thoughts at 14. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't need to live. Nobody cares what I do. Mm-hmm. I lost the one thing that I love the most, which was my ice skating. And my parents got divorced and they were both in their own worlds. Mm. At this point, my mom kind of went off into disco and dancing and partying and drugs. Mm. And my dad was over here with all his girlfriends. And it was like, it was just chaos. Yeah. And I thought, well, why am I here? Right. You know, nobody cares what I do. And so I started, my self-esteem just went, just dwindled, just dwindled down. And, and so, you know, and by the way, I know that there are people out there go, oh, I have it so much worse than that, you know? And I go, yeah, I know. I get it. I really do. Like I get it. And it's, I have so much empathy and compassion for people that go through these kind of things because I just the little bit that I experienced was horrible, you know, 
And so I ended up living with my dad in a really not so great neighborhood in California, mm-hmm. in the South Bay area called Hawthorne. And I went to a school on Rosecrans and Prairie. And it was not a, it was, you know, I look back, it wasn't that safe of a neighborhood. And, you know, a lot of gangs and a lot of, a lot of that going on. I lived very close to Compton and El Segundo. And, you know, it's mm-hmm. just an area that's known for right. not a great area. Right. And so I went to high school and my grades went so far down, so far down the scale. You know, it was like, because I had to work. Right. Because my dad, my dad was like, I don't, you're going to have to work. He wasn't going to buy me any clothes or take care of me or do any of that. So I got a job right away and started working. And my sophomore year, I would leave school, go to work and work till 11 o'clock at night, walk home with a pocket knife in my jacket because I walked home late at night. And I think about that now and I'm like, wow, I would never allow my kids to do stuff like that, you know? Exactly, exactly. But, but it taught me, you know, it taught me. And I, I always try to find the beauty in that stuff now. And that's what my book's about. Is like all these things can happen, but what's the beauty in it? What did it teach me? It taught me resilience. It taught yeah. me like, you know what, man? You fall down, you get back up. Yes, ma'am. You know, and yeah. that's what my coaches taught me in ice skating. You know, if I fell, they're like, get back up. Do what do you get right. back up? Do it again. Do mm-hmm. it ten more times. So, I barely graduated from high school. That's my story. You know, I uh, my grades went way down, and I barely graduated. And but I was a cheerleader and I did all that stuff, right? I, I, cause I was always the attention getter. Remember that was my first addiction. So mm-hmm. I was a cheerleader and I was in student council, but my grades were horrific. And my teacher, I remember my senior year, my teacher said, you know, you're going to fail this class. And if you don't pass this class, you don't graduate. And I said, well, that's not going to happen. So how can I graduate? Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, you have never, you never came to this class. It's government. Like you have to pass this class. I said, well, tell me what I have to do to pass. And he's like, no, you didn't come. And I was like, there's got to be a way. Like, I wouldn't give up. I was so persistent. He's like, okay. So he's kind of being a smarty with me. And he said, go write like a 2,000 page report on what we studied all year. Oh, wow. And I did. I went home. I went home and wrote that report. I looked in the book at every subject they covered and I did the best I could. And I turned it in. And he goes, you know what? Just because of you did this, he, he gave me a D minus so I could graduate. And mm. that's how I graduated high school. And that's a true story. Like I should that's never, amazing. never have graduated. And so I went to a, a junior college and now I moved back in with my mother. <clears throat> and I moved, went to a junior college and I made the song leading cheerleading team. Mm-hmm. And, um, I remember the woman, she got my transcripts from high school. She called Betty Shear. She called me into her office and she said, Deb, your grades are like, you don't have a grade point average to be allowed to be on the squad. And I said, okay, well, put me on probation. And she kind of looked at me and I said, yeah, put me on probation. If I don't do well the first semester of school, you can kick me off the squad. But I really want to be a part of the squad And this is really something I'm looking forward to. And she goes, okay, you're on academic probation. And that's what we called it. Mm -hmm. Do you know that I made the dean's list? She brought (laughs) me in her office and she said, you are something else because you came in here like with all D's from high school. 
Mm-hmm. And now you're on the Dean's list. She goes, you're not living to your potential. And then, you know, there it is another, another person in my life now that believes in me, you know, mm-hmm. and I don't take these things for granted now. Mm-hmm. When mm-hmm. I look back, there were many people like that along the way, besides my ice skating coaches, my, you know, Betty Shear from junior college. And then mm-hmm. along the way throughout my life, there would be people that would just say something or give me a tidbit that made me go, oh, I, I, I do belong here. I do have something to offer. And the more I would get those, the more I felt like I belonged. Mm-hmm. It's the worst feeling to not feel like you belong or you have a mm-hmm. purpose or, or mm-hmm. you even should be living, mm-hmm. you know, and I get that when people talk about suicide or depression, I get it because mm-hmm. it's the worst feeling to have those yes. thoughts and And so anyway, so I, you know, I don't want to bore you with the whole life story and this is all going to be in my book, but, you know, from there I had, I started getting my confidence. I had a whole new group of friends in college and I saw really beautiful family units and I thought it's okay that I don't have one, you know, Mm -hmm. it's okay. I was starting to accept that Mm -hmm. and my mom had remarried and and they had a nice home now. And so things were looking okay on the outside, but on the inside, not so yeah. good. Right. But I did make this professional cheerleading squad. Um, the USFL started a football team called the LA Express. Okay. And they started this football league that was, so they wanted to do football all year round. And so there was this advertisement in the paper that the LA Express was looking for cheerleaders and come try out. So I asked a girl that I was cheering with in college. Now you have to understand, we're 18, we have braces. <laughs> I do not I do not look like a professional cheerleader. But I'm like, let's just go try out. So yeah, we drove. Trying. Yeah, so we drove to Hollywood. We showed up at the Hollywood Palladium and there were a thousand girls, over a thousand girls waiting in line to try out. And they the first tryout they gave us two minutes you ran it was a huge you know the hollywood palladium is a huge room and they had you run out in front of the panel of judges you had two minutes to do a quick whatever and then run off well my routine ended up on all the news that night (laughs) it was so uh, my phone and you know this is before you know this is in 1982 Mm -hmm. my phone is ringing off the hook. People are calling my house. They're like, I just saw you on the news. Oh my God. Because it was so obvious. I mean, I just did my thing and then I ran off and, and that was like my my first feeling of like, oh my God, like I could be famous. You know? All by yourself too, right. All by myself. Right. So mm-hmm. this uh, Penny is the girl that I tried out with. So Penny and I made it all the way through the cuts there were three cuts we made it all the way to the end we both made the squad and we were professional cheerleaders for a year together for the usfl la express paula abdul was a cheerleader for the lakers at the time and she she came and taught some of our routines Mm -hmm. which you know was so fun you know looking back like we knew who she was but not really you know she wasn't real famous (laughs) at that time right right and so, you know, here I was on all the news stations being interviewed by radio. What's it like to be a cheerleader for the LA Express? 
That's a, that's amazing. Uh, so I want to, I would like to comment on one thing you said earlier. Um, sure. And this is something that I personally feel. So nobody, it's not like a, you know, anything uh, that I think is official, but I've, we've all dealt with hardships in our lifetime, right? And you said something like, Hey, I know about, you know, my, my story compared to others is not that difficult, but I feel like it's a society that we need to stop comparing hurts, right? If you hurt at level three or level seven, it doesn't make it uh, less or more insignificant. It still hurt. And everybody deals with it, responds to it differently. So, um, in saying that, I just want you to say it's okay that you don't have to go through the worst experience in the world, bad experiences, especially at young ages. It can be at a level two of pain, level one of pain, and it can still cause, you know, catastrophic damage later on in your lifetime as an adult. So I just wanted to let you know that, hey, you don't have to have the most dark, crazy backstory to, you know, uh, to feel validated. I feel like validation is like anything, any obstacle you deal with as a young kid, you're not prepared to deal with those things, right? Like nobody's prepared to, you don't, as adults, we're still like learning, right? So like, absolutely, you know, absolutely. A, well, listen, abandonment and neglect are this, they're the same for everybody. Mm-hmm. You yes. know, if you're, if you have abandonment issues, neglect issues, mm-hmm. if you went through a divorce, if you were abused verbally, physically, whatever, mm-hmm. it's all, it's all under the umbrella of abuse. Mm-hmm. And I, and I had all of it, all mm-hmm. of it across the board. And mm-hmm. And I, 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 I write about it in my book because the reason I write about it is because I realized, I realized as I was getting older that people always looked at me as if I had it all together. Okay. And if I had a bad day, people were like, Deb's having a bad day, you know? And it was like, cause I always wanted to hold it together and be this perfect image of what you thought mm-hmm. of me. Mm-hmm. And, and I realized that people would say to me, I'd say, no, I'm kind of going through this phase right now. And I'm, and, and, and people go, really, you seem like you always have it together. And that was like the light bulb went off and I went, mm-hmm. oh my God, I got to write my story mm-hmm. because if it helped one person, it's worth it. Yes. I agree. You know what I mean? If it reached one soul, if somebody read my book and said, oh my God, she was a, Playboy centerfold and she met all these famous people and she did she got her SAG card and she was an actress and she married an Olympic athlete and she had this fairy tale life and they go and she wanted to kill herself. They want to mm-hmm. read that book. You know, they want to read that book because mm-hmm. it's 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 serious business. It's not I don't I don't use it as like I don't want anything back. As a matter of fact, my goal is to really set up a foundation where all the money goes towards this type of stuff because it's serious. It's really serious business. It's not, it's not something that I take lightly. And, you know, I listen to people's stories all the time and I'm always like, oh my God, you know, like, you know, but, but, the, the goal is to take those things that the worst things that happened to you and make mm-hmm. it make it work and and, yes. and if I yeah. can use it to help somebody else and be of service to somebody else then yes. then that's purpose you know yes. and it's not so much about me because I've done the work and I've forgiven everything in my past mm-hmm. and it took me a long time <laughs> I, I, to, I can imagine. You know, to get to that place where you go, you <laughs> know what, enough is enough. You know, because all I'm doing is hurting myself. They're all mm-hmm. going on with their lives. 
So yeah, so so my twenties, my twenties were all just about Deb. It was all about me because、okay. I told、mm-hmm. you my first addiction was attention.、Mm-hmm. Yes. And then、mm-hmm. when you know you have an addiction like that, and I say that I say that because attention is an addiction. You know,、mm-hmm. the f- fame and attention and ego and all of that, and then that leads to drinking and it can lead to drugs and. Food、mm-hmm. and whatever, shopping, gambling, and so、mm-hmm. for me, it led to alcohol, and、okay. alcohol was a huge part of my story,、mm-hmm. you know, because it, I would drink, and you know, I have many, many stories about that. You know, I、mm-hmm. mean, when I was eighteen, I got thrown in jail for drinking and driving,、mm-hmm. you know, and and that woke me up, but it didn't stop me. You、okay. know, it woke me up, and you know, here I am, this. Cheerleader that gets thrown in jail. I mean, what's、mm-hmm. that? You know, and how embarrassing! My license got、mm-hmm. taken away for a year. I had to. It was my first look at going to AA. The DA told my mom, "Your daughter's an alcoholic," and my mom was like,、mm-hmm. "She's the homecoming queen. What are you talking about?" You know,、mm-hmm. denial. Right. It's all right. surrounded by <laughs> denial,、mm-hmm. and so you know, these are just parts of my story. It happened. You know, it's like,、mm-hmm. but. But all that drunk driving and going to jail did for me was slow me down and make me go. Well, I'm not going to drink and drive anymore. Of course, <laughs> I'll, I'll get in the car with somebody who's been drinking and driving. You know, drinking. <laughs> I'll let them drive me, but I'm not going to drive. Right. You know, like this is not normal <laughs> thinking. <laughs> And so, but that was, you know, my solution. You know, I always had a solution. You know, well, if、mm-hmm. I can't drink and drive, you can drink and drive, and I'll get in your car. <laughs> Great idea, you know. No, so, so you know, I had to learn everything the hard way, right? Because again, going back to, I didn't have those parents that go, "Hey, Deb, come here, sit down. Let、mm-hmm. me tell you, you know, this drunk driving thing is a serious thing." Like、yes. we should really talk about it. Maybe you need to go to AA, or maybe you need to go、mm-hmm. to therapy, or maybe we need、mm-hmm. to find out why you're drinking so much.、Mm-hmm. Nothing. 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 As a matter of fact, I think you know, I got home from court and we drank a bottle of wine. You know, <laughs> and that's how it. That's how it. That's how it went in my family. You know, it's like no, there's not a problem, and there the problem was huge. But nobody wanted to look at it, so, so I knew I had a problem.、Mm-hmm. I knew that that wasn't normal, you、yes. know. I knew that being thrown in jail at eighteen years old is not a normal. It's not normal. So,、mm-hmm. so then you know, in my twenties, I was drinking and partying and living in a world of denial. But I was also getting many accolades. I was doing commercials. I started acting. I started modeling. People told me you're never going to model. You're you're five six. You don't have the. You're not. I wasn't built to be a model. I didn't、right. look like a model.、Mm-hmm. And I said I'm going to model. And they were like, Deb, you have to be five ten, and you have to be like stunning, beautiful. And I was like, No, I'm not going to do that kind of modeling. I'm going to do commercial modeling. You know. And、mm-hmm. I I always was like. I'm going to do it, and I did. I got an、mm-hmm. agent, and wouldn't you know that all the things that people told me I was never going to do, you did them. <laughs> I did. I became the、mm-hmm. campaign. I did a campaign for Body Glove. I was the Ocean Pacific girl. I, 
you know, I was doing tons of swims. People told me you're never going to do that stuff. You're mm -hmm. not, you know, that's not, you don't look like that. And sure enough, I did. And so, the, you know, there's a, there's, you know, it's, it's not easy. I will tell you that I had to hustle. And, you know, I think it's because I was really easy to work with and I was nice. Mm -hmm. It was, was 80% of the battle for me. You know, mm -hmm. I was nice and the casting people liked me. They're like, oh, mm -hmm. she's nice. She's, you know, I'd come in all bubbly. And, you know, even with my, even with my drinking and my depression and all of that stuff that was underlying, it was like an underlining mm -hmm. problem. I was never late. I always showed up and I was always easy to work with. You know, I was mm -hmm. always a, a good person to work with mm -hmm. and I was nice to everybody. I was kind and I, you know, Sometimes I'd be so hungover and show up on job sets and, and nobody knew, you know, nobody mm. knew, mm. nobody knew that that was my story. They mm. just thought I was this fun, vivacious girl. And in my twenties, you, you know, you can hide the stuff in your twenties. Mm -hmm. You can't, as you get older, it mm. just, it shows up on your face mm. a lot, a lot more. If you know what I mean, it just shows, oh, wow. it just shows <laughs> up more. You can't, you're, you're like, it, it, it's like, What's wrong? Probably, like people, yeah. all, all of a sudden, people started saying to me, "What's wrong?" And I'm like, "Why? Right. Can, can, you, can you see that I'm depression, alcoholic, suicidal? <laughs> can you see all that? Oh my god! You know? yeah, the, the, the fatigue, the fatigue on your body and mental shows a lot more when, when it does. When you know, I got away with it in my 20s, but I'll tell you what, in my 30s, it started showing up big time. All of a sudden, it was like I couldn't hide anymore. It's like. I looked suicidal. I looked tired. I looked, mm -hmm. I looked ragged. I looked like something was wrong. Mm -hmm. And, and it's interesting because now I can notice that look in other people, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I'm aware and I can see it. And I'm like, are you okay? Is everything okay? Mm -hmm. You know? I see it like I, it looks like you're, you're suffering with something and you know, and that's mm -hmm. all it is. It's internal suffering mm -hmm. and you try to stuff it down for so long. And then all of a sudden it starts coming out mm -hmm. in the form of headaches, stomach aches, lines, dehydration, whatever. It starts coming out and mm -hmm. you know, and once it started coming out, I had to deal with it. And so, you know, um, I got married in 1992 to a really beautiful human being and we got married and you know this is my side by the way I don't know how he feels about it but my side is you know we got married and I didn't I hadn't done any work on myself okay and so we had we had some good years together but a lot of it was me really like suffering and I didn't know by the way, mm -hmm. I didn't know until we got divorced mm -hmm. what my problem really was. You know, it was like I just knew that there was something wrong and I just didn't know what it was. And mm -hmm. I, I I thought that I didn't care about certain things, but I did. Mm -hmm. And so all these things were creeping up in my marriage. And, you know, God bless my, my husband because he had no idea. He had no idea. He was like an innocent bystander. He had no idea what was going on with me. And 
these things, the abuse from my childhood and things were just coming up and I didn't know how to deal. I kept trying to push it down. Mm. And, and, and then I did have a few episodes in our marriage, not a lot, but a few. It's interesting. My, my drinking wasn't really that bad in my marriage. There were a couple of episodes where I drank too much, but mm. my drinking really progressed for me when I got divorced. Mm. And boy, did it progress. It was like, it was on a hundred mile an hour, like we're going until you die, you know, type mm. thing. It took total control of me and I didn't know what was happening. And I really, by the way, I didn't know for the longest time that it was alcohol. <laughs> I thought it was, well, I'm going through a divorce or, you know, I was abused right. or I had a bad childhood or right. it was always something else. It was always, mm-hmm. and by the way, those are not reasons. Oh, oh right. That, right. Those are not reasons that I have a problem with drinking, right? Those are not mm-hmm. the reasons. I just, I'm one of those people that cannot drink. Mm-hmm. And so in my 40s and after my divorce, my divorce brought me to my knees because it was the first time in my life that I was alone. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what that was going to feel like. And I had never been alone. And I had now I had three kids. I'm living alone. I'm raising my kids. And I am not, I'm just, I'm spiraling down. It's all mm-hmm. negative. It's just all quicksand stuff. It's mm-hmm. not, you know, and I just couldn't see out. And so in 2008, I thought it would be a good idea to take a bottle of pills and wash it down with vodka and call it a day and wow. ended up in lockdown. And I thought, you know, and I survived, which is a miracle because the doctor told me, he said, you know, you're really lucky because most people end up in a coma or they end up paralyzed or they end up really, really bad from taking that that much pills. And I survived. And he's like, girl, somebody wants you alive and you better figure it out. Well, I was living in uh, Utah at this time and state of Utah does not look kindly on people trying to kill themselves. And they Mm -hmm. gave me, they gave me two choices. You can go to jail or you can go to rehab. And I chose rehab and I was in rehab for three months. First I was in lockdown. Then they put me in detox. And after I detoxed and did my time there, I got to choose a rehab and I went to rehab for two months. But again, did not think I had a drinking problem. I thought I was depressed and, and I still in denial about the alcohol. You know, I just did, I wasn't getting it, you know, with all of that. It's like, it wasn't the alcohol. I was depressed and sad, you know? And so I left rehab and I didn't drink for a long time. And then it just creeped back into my life and things just, The thing about it that's really, really hard, you know, to the hardest part about admitting that you have a drinking problem or you're an alcoholic is that the first step is you have to admit you're powerless. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't do it because I had so much success in my life and I was functioning. And here Mm -hmm. I was, you know, in the top 5% of salespeople Mm -hmm. in my industry and just 
rocking in my in my business world that mm-hmm. it was really hard to admit that I was powerless, you know? Mm-hmm. So for me to really admit that was brutal. So, you know, when I finally did, my life completely changed. When I finally just completely gave up and said, you know what? Something's off here. And and then I was able to really once I took mm-hmm. the alcohol out, I was able to peel mm-hmm. back peel back onions and start looking. Mm-hmm. And it's not an easy journey, you know. I've had many slips, you know, along right. the way and right. you know, right. and then, you know, it's just part of the the the, the addiction train, but mm-hmm. but yeah, so so no surprise too, you know, I had alcoholism on both sides, on my dad's side, on side. my on my mother's side. There's a lot of addiction, not just mm-hmm. alcohol, but addiction. And so, you know, when you, your percentages kind of go up, you know, like the odds go up when you've got Mm -hmm. on both sides, you know, Mm -hmm. of the, of the, of the aisle. But, you know, and it's funny too, because I would look at my dad, my dad was a a real drunk and uh, I would look at him and just go, I'm never going to be like that. You know, I'm never Mm going to do, I'm never going to behave like that or do that or be that. Mm -hmm. And then here you go. That's what you know what happens so so i'm super grateful because i'm kind of grateful that that all did happen to me because you know all the things that i'm i i i think about now i think god what a what a ride i've had you know what a ride and it's just like it's just all part of a story that can help somebody else and that's it it's not a story of me being a victim i'm not a victim it's just a story of like these things happen and guess what? I'm now available to, to help somebody else, to help somebody else out mm-hmm. who might be suffering and thinking they're not worth it, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's like the the umbrella story. And uh, I think we left off of me being a professional cheerleader and then we got <laughs> sidetracked, which is always uh, fun. Yeah, well, I can't say uh, just based on hearing everything that you went through, I can't commend you on how you always found a positive uh, outlook to, you know, why these things happen or what you went through and you, you use your experiences to, you know, kind of reciprocate to, you know, positive way to, to, to deal with them. Because I'm quite sure it was, the world is not easy. We're not going to go into all the details and like that mentally just going through those things. But to come be able to stand today you know, and be able to, you know, Say, hey, you know, I still have a positive outlook despite all of these things, right? Yeah. All of these cards that I've had, you know, to make my hand more difficult, you know. Um, I can I can honestly say I commend you for the strength that you're showing to be able to, you know, have all of that and be able to stand here today and probably talk about it and be able to express it to help uh, someone else. But I did have a question for you um, when I read your bio. <laughs> so you said that your, I guess your favorite slogan is no means maybe. Yes. So that is, that is a great story because, you know, I, I've been in sales. So after my divorce, be, prior to my marriage and divorce, all I knew was acting, modeling and, and show business. I didn't know any other mm-hmm. business. And so after mm-hmm. I got divorced, I didn't walk away with a big marriage settlement. So I had to work. I got right. to work. I right. changed that now. <laughs> I got to work. <laughs> 
And my first job was real estate. And then I ended up in print. And then the job that I became really successful in is uh, life insurance. And so I just remember when I, when I got my life insurance license and I called a friend of mine who used to be the head of Warner Brothers. And I said, look, if I get you as a client, I just know that all, the referrals will be huge. And I said, mm-hmm. let me do your insurance and then you can refer business. And he's like, no, Deborah, I already have life insurance. And like, and, and first of all, let me see how long you're going to last in this business. You know what I mean? Because everybody right. knew me as a model. Right. So, right. so I said, I go, look, what if I lower your premium payments? Then you have to be my client. And he's like, no. And I'm like, okay, I'll call you next week. And he's like, Deborah, I said, you don't have to call me. And no. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll call you next week because things change. Mm-hmm. Sure enough, I called him the following week. I said, hey, it's Deb. I go, look, I know you said no, but I think you should let me do an audit. And he's like, oh, my God, you're not going to give up, are you? And I said, no. <laughs> I, I go, look, I go, it just makes sense. If I do an audit and I can lower your premiums, and I go, and I'll tell you how I can do that. And I told him how. Mm-hmm. And he's like, really? And I'm like, yeah. I go, most people don't know this. I'm not going to get into that whole thing. But anyway, so <laughs> he goes, okay, do the audit. And when I hung up the phone, it hit me in my head. I'm like, no means maybe. And I mm-hmm. wrote it, I wrote it in big letters mm-hmm. on the yellow pad that I was using to keep track of who I had called. And mm-hmm. I just wrote it in big letters and it became my quote for everything. <laughs> so anytime people would say no to me, I'd go, okay, it means maybe. And they'd look at me, they'd look at me like, what? And then this is the funniest part. Do you know that he ended up referring me so much business? And what he would <laughs> and what he would say to people is, just do it with her. She's not going to leave you alone. <laughs> I didn't even have to sell myself. It was like he was selling me. It was hilarious. I was like, oh, my God, I love this. It was just like, you know, it's like one of my favorite stories because it just became. And I another job that I did. Uh, for about two years, I worked for a print company out of New York. I lived in New York for a year and did print procurement. And and he would say, because every time, you know, and we were working on big multi-million dollar deals mm-hmm. with Revlon and, and Hallmark. And, you know, I was getting in with major uh, print mm-hmm. procurement departments in these big companies. And these were big, mm-hmm. big deals. And I remember one of the deals we were working on was with AIG and and it was like a 50 million, it could have been 50 to a hundred million dollar deal. And I remember it just wasn't working out. I'm like, next. He's like, what? <laughs> I'm like, next. Let's just move on to the next. It'll mm-hmm. come back. It'll come back around. And he was like, you are the next girl. That's what I'm going to call you. The next girl. So I was like, <laughs> I either said next or no means maybe those were my two, you know, like just, you know, don't, I don't like to sit in. Right, oh my right. God, we didn't get the deal. You know, it's right. like, that would mean you're telling the universe that that's the only deal right 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 and so i was like i don't want to sit in that there's lots of deals Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we just didn't Mm -hmm. get this one so yeah it's like it's 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 really interesting and so yeah so no means maybe and (laughs) and i have and i've learned also even in relationships you know even in the hardest 
relationships that, you know, I just, I have noticed a pattern that people resurface in my life a lot, you know, so even like the hardest breakups or, or somebody Mm -hmm. that maybe I liked and they didn't like me or, or they liked me and I didn't like them. And, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever the relationship, you know, the dynamics of that is, Mm -hmm. I've just Mm -hmm. noticed that as I get older, all these people just, they, they stay in your life somehow. And so Mm -hmm. you never have to worry, you know, you never have to worry. Oh my God, this person doesn't want to be in my life or (laughs) it's like, no, it's just right now. Right. It's just right right now. But I have noticed that people always kind of reappear in my life. Sorry, I'm a little. So regarding your book, right? Yes. um, Which is, I'm excited. I'm gonna. I'm gonna get a copy. I'm gonna yay! Read it yay! Yeah. So, that, so I I put this in the universe because I'm very picky. I'm re. It's finished. I'm rewriting it. The working title is my truth, but that's not the title. And I don't want to say the title because I love the title. Um, um. But it's it's finished, and my what I would like to see is have it be released by the end of the summer. Okay. And it's going to coincide with me with something that's happening in my life and that's a surprise. So what I'm doing right now is I'm just preparing by, you know, doing all these interviews and Mm -hmm. putting Mm -hmm. it out there in the universe. And and it's also really good for me too to get feedback from people like yourself. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, because if you said to me, yeah, no, not not gonna read that book, you know, like (laughs) I'm not interested, then I'd go, you know, that's good. I've got to take that into account, you know. And so, you know, and then, you know, I've had a few people, there's a few people in my life that are guiding me with all of it. And because I just want to make sure that it doesn't come across like a, like a resentment thing or a victim thing. I really want my story to be a message of hope and help. I get, I I feel that from your conversation. So I'm quite sure you'll be able to put that in your, in your writing. I can feel it from your conversation. Yeah. Uh, you always talk about yourself and you don't, uh, you don't place it out there as if you're trying to play the victim or anything like that. Yeah. You, literally, you literally provide the aspect is I want to help someone else. He said, it resonated with me when you said about the, uh, of one person change one person. That's how my outlook was on my show. I said, whether my audience be one or 1 million, as long as it reaches one person, I, I feel yeah. like I'm healed. So, um, and that's beautiful. I think, your energy is, I think your energy is great for your book. I think if you're half as fun, you know, uh, <laughs> animated as you are doing the interview, doing your book, that it'll be a great read. Um, so everybody look out for that whenever it is released. I will keep everybody posted. Um, thank you. Um, thank you. So, uh, we'll continue about you a little bit later okay. but we have our famous segment here on the show that we have to always get our guests from uh, always get our guests input from um as we wind down on the show and this is nothing as you know as, as deep and cinematic as you know what we've been talking about before it's just kind of just kind of just to de-stress and gets a little bit of fun uh, in the closing moments of the show so I have my famous would you rather that I always ask my guests. This is only two. They will have no relation at all to anything we talked about. They're completely random and silly. Okay. And then we'll get a, and then we'll get a travel <laughs> recommendation for you as well. Okay. So your first, would you rather, and you're going to have to say why as well. Would you rather have the 
most high-tech security system or two ferocious guard dogs for your home? Ooh. <laughs> That's an interesting question. <laughs> security system or two guard dogs? God, I love dogs. This is really hard. <laughs> I'm going to have to say the security system. And I'm going to tell you why. why? I love <laughs> I love dogs. Okay. So my first thought was, I don't want my dogs to be guard dogs. <laughs> what if they accidentally hurt somebody? Yeah. You know, yeah. that's what went through my head. So I think I would take this <laughs> keep... I like little fluffer dogs, so I'm going to take the <laughs> high-tech security system and have a lot of fluffer dogs. <laughs> uh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Like, <laughs> I, I, I like technology, so I probably would choose the high-tech stuff, too, just because yeah. I'm a nerd. I'm kind of a nerd at heart. I like all of the cameras and motion sensors and lasers and you know things like that, so I'll probably yeah. choose the same thing. So your next one is, would you rather live in the heart of a big city or out in the quiet countryside? Wow, this is a really interesting question because <laughs> I, I, even as up to five years ago, I would have mm-hmm. said I would have said the heart of the city. Okay, but I've changed, and now I would absolutely take the the country. Quiet countryside. Yeah, a hundred percent. You like that peace? That's the, well, that's the peace as, that we and guess what? <laughs> Especially after this pandemic. Yes. It made me it, it made me rethink all of my values and what I valued most and I thought you know what I what I'd really like right now is a peaceful place out in the country where I, I wouldn't care if I was wearing a mask or I could walk my property. No. It's something how life how life brings different aspects of yeah. appreciation. But I'm, I I am a city girl. I love the city but I've changed. Mm-hmm. I really really appreciate mm-hmm. land and country and right. Yeah, I actually was in Tennessee looking at property uh, nice. in October, and I loved it. So yeah, I, I'm mm-hmm. definitely open for the country. Yeah. And your last one: Would you rather Junior Mints or York Peppermint Patties? Peppermint Patty. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say, oh, don't say Junior Mints. Hundred <laughs> percent Peppermint Patty, frozen, frozen. Put them in the freezer. <laughs> yes, I agree. I was like, oh, you hesitated. I said, don't say anything about mint patties, please. <laughs> so, so, thank you for all the questions. I hope it wasn't too crazy. It was nothing. They're completely random. I just have yeah, fun. Have a good laugh. I loved you, it. Um, so, my show uh, I created, I, I'm i in the U.S. military, uh, in the United States Air Force. Oh, congratulations. Congratulations. And thank you for your service. Thank you. Thank you so much for your support. Um, so I'm here in Italy, and one thing I can say the military gave me was to be able to travel all around, all around. So I created this show in hopes to not only, not only to, okay, I'm sorry. Um, I created this show uh, not only to educate, you know, everyone and younger kids and people from all backgrounds, but also to promote traveling to underprivileged, uh, you know, kids and things like that to be able to get out of those, you know, just their rural environments or whatever they might be in neighborhoods, whatever it might be in to travel. So I want to eventually start a nonprofit organization to be able to, you know, fly, fly a kid to somewhere else, you know, just to go see something like this. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. While building building this show, uh, every guest 
um, recommends a travel recommendation. I'm, it could be somewhere uh, stateside and local, it's, it's, or it can be somewhere international that you went that you thought was pretty cool, just to you know uh, provide a portfolio of places that people have actually been to and talk about. So, well, can I do both? Can I do one in the United States and one internationally? Of course, of course. <laughs> I can't believe this, but I just visited for the first time the Grand Canyon. Mm. And I did, you know, during the pandemic, I did a lot of hiking and road trips because everything mm-hmm. else was closed. And, and I was very fortunate because of the international travel ban, there was uh-huh. the Grand Canyon was empty. So mm-hmm. I went and saw the Grand Canyon. Oh my God, it's a must. Beautiful. It's beautiful. And I really want to go back and do the where you get in the, the rafting and you raft mm-hmm. down the. Mm-hmm. the the whitewater mm-hmm. rafting of the Grand Canyon. I mm-hmm. want to go back and do that. But we hiked a lot of the Grand Canyon and drove and it's so beautiful. Oh my God. It's a must. And then outside of the U S I was really fortunate. And I, my, I have uh, three kids and my daughters and I traveled all of 2019. Can you believe this right before the pandemic? Well, and we talk we, about, <laughs> we talk about this because perfect time. Wow, like thank God. <laughs> One of the places we went that we all three fell in love with, it's the Maldives. Ooh. And it is I'm a water person, so mm-hmm. I love any vacation that has water involved. Mm-hmm. I love uh-huh. to be in the water. I love to snorkel. I love to mm-hmm. ski. I love, I just love to surf. I love mm-hmm. to be in the water. And the Maldives, oh my God, it's a long flight to get to get there. But it's mm-hmm. so worth it. It's worth every hour on the airplane. It is so beautiful. And oh, oh what a place to do yoga, to be in the water, to meditate. You're in the middle of, it's a little eerie too, because you're, you're on the water, you know, all the hotels Mm -hmm. are on the water. And Mm -hmm. so you're kind of, it's kind of like you have that feeling of like (laughs) a little bit of just a tad bit of, I don't want to use the word claustrophobia, but you are all around water. You're all around (laughs) water. It's kind Mm of, it's wild. And you know, And and the hotel we stayed in, they had a couple areas in the room that we stayed in. It was like beautiful. You know, you could see the water is right below you. You're in huts on the water. So it's it's magnificent. My first time hearing that it sounds like a great experience. Grand Canyon in the Maldives. So that's that's two completely opposites. (laughs) (laughs) Based on your budget, well, you can go once once we travel again. So hopefully, when COVID clears, that. And by the way, I I love road trips too. Mm -hmm. By the way, Mm -hmm. so anywhere Mm -hmm. that I have an opportunity to get a car and just drive and get lost, I love road trips. I love (laughs) going to old diners. I love. I it doesn't have to be completely expensive. Like I love just being in the car and exploring. So road trips are the best. I love I love traveling. This is, a, this is why I always end the show on these type of things because yeah. it always gets me in a great mood. <laughs> to, yeah. to another place, place on my list to you know to want to go to. So yeah, uh, thank you so much, Deborah, for your time. Thank um, you, and thank you again for your service to, for our country, and thank you for your beautiful show, and thank you for inviting me. Oh, no problem at all. As, so as we close, um, I will let you have your closing remarks, and if you'd like to, uh, you know, announce any 
social media handles or anything like that to keep up with you and things like that and once we do release this episode um i'll have you know probably a little more information about the book to refer everybody to you know um look out for your book in the near future so i'll let you close with whatever you like to say about your experience and give some closing remarks thank you so um i'm going to be posting all of my updated information about my book any podcast that i'm going to be on you know, all of the things that I want to promote on Instagram at Deborah Driggs. It's my name. It's just my name. It's easy to find and come follow my journey. I would love to have you follow my journey. <laughs> well, thank you so much, everybody. Uh, as you can see, she is a very, uh, we don't uh, record the video here, but if you can see, she's very animated and she's, it's, it's a joy to speak to her going back and forth. The story was amazing. And if you want to find the details about her story and everything like that, of course, sure the book will go in a lot more detail because due to time constraints, we can't just have her whole life, her whole life in one hour. <laughs> it's <probably>. impossible. <laughs> Not at my age. <laughs> it's probably impossible. And, you know, uh, so, but I can imagine this made me at least uh, want to know more about you and also to give motivation to anybody out there knowing that regardless of whatever hand you're dealt, that it is possible for you to be able to overcome all the obstacles because we all have obstacles, whether we admit them or not. Um, I think addressing them early on is better but there's never a perfect time so everybody yeah. out there I, I feel like she really fits the, the narrative of this show perfectly and i will continue to support and uh you know wish you well on your journey with your book and much success and hey i'm very proud of you being here today despite everything that you went through you're here today with a smile on your face in the midst of a pandemic in the midst of 2021 <laughs> you know we still can find a reason to smile and you Absolutely. put a smile on my face yes so thank you so, thank you so much for your time thank you and uh, people we will see you guys next week. All righty. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. Please leave an honest review, subscribe, and share. Listen to us on all platforms. Follow us and ask questions on Twitter at Marquise Podcast Mailbag. Follow us on IG at Flavor In Your Ear Podcast. And like our Facebook page, Flavor In Your Ear Podcast. For exclusive content, info, special offers, and free entry into our monthly giveaways, send your email address to flavorinyourear247 at gmail.com to join our email list. If you're anxious, we have a snippet following our next episode's topic. Peace and love.